Dave Mathers was a gunfighter back in the days of the Old West. And he once killed a man named Hall in a gunfight. And even though it had been a fair fight, his Hall's three brothers swore that they would get Dave Mathers in order to get even. And Mathers knew that he'd be in trouble if all three Hall brothers came after him at the same time because he, even though he had a renowned fast draw, it's pretty tough, one on three. How could he shoot fast enough to take all of them out before they put him down? Yet he also knew that many gunshots don't kill. And so in order to survive, he mentally prepared himself to stand there and take the bullets. And he pictured himself getting hit, absorbing the shock, and refusing to go down until he had eliminated his enemies. And so he got himself prepared to stand. Well, one day, walking out of a saloon, it happened. He started out into the street, and Les Hall called him out from across the street. And Mathers turned, and as he did so, the other two brothers, Gus and Jesse, stepped out of hiding places and began shooting at him from ambush. Before Mathers even could draw his gun, he'd been hit by a bullet. But he ignored the ambushers. He drew his gun, and he concentrated on Les. And he stayed on his feet, firing until Les went down. And then he turned his gun on Jesse, and this entire time bullets are flying around him, and some of them hit him. One in the leg, one in the hip, one in the arm. But Mathers refused to go down. He stood his ground. And when the gun battle was over, the three Hall brothers were lying dead in the street. Dave Mathers had six bullets in his body. And he was bloody, he was hurt, but he still was standing. He survived his wounds and that gunfight became a legend throughout the Old West. So how is it that someone could survive those kinds of odds? Well, he survived because he resolved to stand his ground. And having resolved to stand, he was not going to let anyone or anything knock him down. Now, we need to be very clear, I'm not advocating that we settle our personal differences today via gunplay. (laughs) That incident took place in a world very, very different from ours. But I think that story illustrates how God wants you and I to respond to the various spiritual battles that we face in our lives. Because more than anything, Our God wants us to stand firm. And we don't stand firm against bullets. We stand firm against temptation and sin and ungodliness. And we stand firm in our faith and we refuse to let anyone or anything knock us down. And unlike Dave Mathers, who stood alone and only had faith in himself, we stand with the Holy Spirit living inside us. We stand with God the Father and God the Son watching over us. And we stand with the church of Jesus Christ right by our side. We are not alone. And so we can stand on 
and rely on the power of God and his people to help us win the spiritual battles of life. And we need to recognize that the spiritual battles of life are not an illusion. They are very, very real. Now, throughout the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians living in Ephesus, he's been writing about the spiritual riches we all get to enjoy as followers of Jesus and as part of God's church. But Paul wants us to know that there is an enemy an enemy of our souls who wants to ambush us and rob us of joy and rob us of faith and rob us of the rich life of abundance that God offers to all of his children. So as Paul wraps up his letter, he reminds the Ephesians and he reminds all believers that we are in an ongoing spiritual battle against forces of evil that want to sabotage our relationship with Jesus. And here's the bottom line of this passage. As followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that we will take some shots. But we do not have to go down. In fact, just the opposite. We actually can flourish against the enemy of our souls. Paul tells us how to do this by offering two basic principles to guide us. Number one, we stand firm. And number two, we pray intensely. Let's take a look and see what we can learn about how to protect ourselves against our spiritual enemy, starting in chapter, verse 10 of chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here's the key point. Listen to this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. Look at how many times Paul says to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here's one of the challenges that we face. We live in a physical world. And we deal with all kinds of very real physical problems. Yet what Paul wants us to understand is that the greatest battle of life doesn't happen in the physical realm. The greatest battle of life happens in the spiritual realm. It's spiritual in nature. And to fight that battle effectively, we must identify the enemy. As Paul writes here, our enemy is the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And as the Bible reveals in other passages, these forces have a name. 
Satan. Satan and the fallen angels, the evil spirits who serve him. And here's what's really tricky. Satan is the father of deceit. He's revealed in the Bible as a great liar, and his greatest act of deceit is to convince many people that he doesn't even exist. And in our modern world, when we talk to sophisticated people, if we start talking about evil spirits and Satan, oh, they think we're just talking about a myth. You see, they've been deceived by the author of deceit. But God's word is true. Satan really does exist. Evil spirits do exist. They exist in the unseen spiritual world around us. They have their own kingdom and power structure, as Paul makes clear. They have influence in our visible world, and they will do anything they can to keep you and I from living by faith in Jesus. And this is all a little weird and odd and unusual and strange for us, but here's the key thing. We do not need to fear the forces of evil because the power of God eclipses the power of Satan. So when we rely on our God and we put our trust in him, then we can, in fact, stand firm against the forces of evil even if we can't overtly see them. And so Paul emphasizes here four, at least four times that our goal is to stand. When the enemy attacks, we don't run. We stand. We don't quiver in fear. We stand. We don't surrender to doubt. We stand. You and I can stand strong when we rely upon the spiritual protection that our loving Father makes available to us, which Paul describes in this passage as the armor of God. Now, as we think about this spiritual armor, let's take a minute and remember the setting in which this letter is being created. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He's got a Roman guard They're in the house, in his room, watching over him constantly. So I picture Paul here praying, asking God for wisdom as he generates this letter. And here in this part of the letter, he's prayerfully thinking about our spiritual battle with Satan, and he's thinking about all the ways that God protects us. And I think it's probably natural for his eyes to glance over at that Roman guard and all the stuff he's wearing. And I think the Holy Spirit probably prompts Paul to pick out some pieces of that Roman armor, using them as a metaphor to help visualize the way God equips us for spiritual battle. By the way, remember that Paul always dictated his letters. And so I find myself wondering, what was that soldier thinking as he heard Paul describe God's Spiritual armor. And I personally think one of the reasons Paul dictated to a secretary was precisely so the Roman guards in that room would hear the truth. And I think it's funny and rather ironic that the guards were Paul's captives, but Paul turned them into a captive audience for the gospel. (laughs) 
And we have some evidence from scripture and church history that many of these guards did in fact become followers of Jesus. So Paul looks at this soldier, thinks about God's protection and begins to describe the armor. And he could start anywhere, but it's interesting to me that he begins with the belt of truth. And why does he start with truth? Because when we wrap ourselves in God's truth, we provide ourselves with incredible moral and spiritual protection. Plus, Paul wants us to know that we must stand on God's truth because Satan is a liar. And not only does Satan try to deceive us by making us think he doesn't even exist, he tries to deceive us by convincing us that he's more powerful than he really is. I find that many people view Satan as somehow this spiritually equal counterpart to God. But he's not. God is an eternal, all-powerful being. God was not created. God simply always has been. But Satan is a created being. He's just a fallen angel. And so when it's God versus Satan, it's not like this. It's like this. (laughs) And one thing we need to remember, when there's an encounter between God and Satan, or between God's people and the forces of evil, it's not a power encounter because all of the power is on God's side. Any fight with Satan is a truth encounter because the light of God's unchanging eternal truth always will defeat the darkness of Satan's lies. Amen. (laughs) And so how do we wear the belt of truth? It's real simple. We spend time meeting God in the pages of Scripture, and we let God's truth permeate our minds and our hearts so we can defend ourselves against the deceitful trends and immoral attitudes promoted by our culture, those things that Satan would use to draw us away from Jesus. And we need to remember that we live in an age that does not value truth. We live in an age of spin and half-truths. And it's generated from every segment of our culture and across every segment of our politics. Too many people today place a premium on someone's lived story, even if that story is full of lies and immorality. Too many groups of people in our culture select facts that affirm their preferred narrative They ignore facts that would undermine that narrative because we don't value truth. And we've made truth subordinate to our tribalism. And it's so tragic that our culture has arrived at a point where we seldom find people in our world who believe in absolute truth. And it's because people have embraced the deceit of the cosmic forces of spiritual darkness. And then on a practical level, what that means is we turn away from truth that's uncomfortable. We turn away from truth we don't like. We turn away from truth that threatens our own selfish preferences. And you and I must stand against that. 
must stand against that. And we do so when we value truth, God's truth, more than anything else. So let's resolve to spend time in God's word and courageously wear his belt of truth. Truth is a key component of our protective armor and a close companion to truth is that we wear God's righteousness like a soldier wears a breastplate. And here's what's really cool. This piece of armor is not hard to put on because if we're in a right relationship with God, then we are wearing God's breastplate. And how do we stay in a right relationship with God? It means we confess our sins when we mess up. We receive God's forgiveness, and we strive to honor God with our lifestyles. Doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're following Jesus. And that's how we live within the protective covering of the breastplate of righteousness. So here's Paul looking, I believe, at this soldier, describing this armor, and at some point his eyes go down to the soldier's footwear. Now, a Roman soldier wore a studded boot, which was roughly similar to the, the cleats that many athletes wear today. And these studded boots helped the soldier to stand. They gave the soldier traction when it was time to charge. And so Paul embraces that image and says, followers of Jesus need good spiritual footwear. And what is our footwear? It's the gospel of peace. Which simply is the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God. The good news that followers of Jesus can live in peace with God and with others. And this is key because even though we're in a battle, our ultimate goal is not to destroy. Our goal is to stand against evil, to stand strong in the faith, and then to add more citizens to the kingdom of God by helping people who are far from God come to know Jesus and experience God's peace at the foot of the cross. The gospel of peace is what we carry with us wherever we go. And as we spread the gospel of peace, oh, the enemy, he's going, to, he's going to want to take some shots at us. So what do we do? We guard ourselves with faith, which Paul says is like a shield. We carry our faith out in front of us to protect us when the enemy takes his shots. And one of the ways the enemy loves to undermine faith is with doubts. To cause us to question God. But the way to stand firm is to refuse to ever yield to doubt. To choose to believe that God always has our best interests at heart, even when life is tough and even when we don't understand what God's up to. But to keep walking through life, carrying the gospel of peace with the shield of faith in front of us, saying, God, you are going ahead of me, and I will trust you, and trust that my faith in you will knock down everything the enemy shoots my way. 
and the source of our faith is the sure and certain knowledge that we have been saved through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We were saved when we confessed our sins to God and we responded in faith by being baptized. And the Bible makes it clear that God meets us in that moment when we call upon him and we ask him to wash our sins away and we must always stand upon that truth. We let the truth of the knowledge of our salvation cover our minds as a soldier's helmet covers his head. And we refuse to let the enemy deceive us about the very act of our salvation. I've met Christians who doubt. Oh, did I really mean it when I confessed? Was I really sincere when I got baptized? Trust it. If you responded to Jesus in faith, trust that God met you in that moment and your salvation is real and you never need to question it. Wear it proudly like a helmet. Don't let the enemy take that away from you. Now, as Paul spoke these words, I'm sure at some point he looked over at the Roman sword. The Roman sword was a very interesting and distinct weapon. Some, uh, some, some armies in that age used very long broadswords and things, but the Roman sword was very short. It was easy to pull out. It was easy to wield. You could move it quickly. So it was useful for close-in defense and it was useful for offense when you were charging the enemy. In other words, it was a weapon for protection and attack. Paul uses that as a metaphor for the awesome power of God's word. The Bible, which he calls the sword of the spirit, And you see, we fight the lies of the enemy by using the truth of Scripture. And so I find it really interesting that Paul begins and ends his description of armor with truth. We start with the belt of truth, we wind up with the sword of truth. And we need that truth from God because the enemy is a liar and deceiver. And we defend ourselves against the forces of evil and we attack the forces of evil with truth. And guess what? Jesus personally showed us how to use this sword. Now, later today, I'd like to encourage you to go take a look at the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And please don't do it now, okay? Stay with me. But in that passage in Matthew, we learn that Satan came to Jesus to tempt him, and Satan told Jesus lie after lie. And here's where the deception really comes in, because in in one case, Satan even quoted Scripture to Jesus. Satan knows the Bible. But you see, he misused the Scripture he quoted because he took it out of context. But that's the deceit. And that's where we need wisdom and discernment. And as Jesus stood there and was tempted by Satan, what was he doing? He was wearing the belt of truth. He was wielding the sword of the Spirit. He was properly armed so he was able to stand firm and speak God's truth accurately in a way that defeated Satan's lies. And guess what? You and I can do the exact same thing. 
And here's a very practical way for you and I to wield the sword of the Spirit against the enemy of our souls. The first thing we need to do is to be honest with ourselves and with God about areas of life where we are spiritually weak. And we need to identify those areas because that's where the enemy most likely is to attack us with his lies. And so we identify our weakness and then we sharpen our sword in advance of any spiritual assault. That way when Satan attacks we will be armored up and ready to stand. Here's a specific example. Maybe you're one of those people who find it easy to be racked with guilt whenever you mess up. You know you've let God down, you know you've sinned, and then you just start beating yourself up with guilt. And what does the enemy do? Oh, he loves to come into those moments and make it worse. And he starts to whisper little lies into your mind like, oh, I know you confessed to God, but you really didn't mean it. Or maybe he says, you know, if you really loved God, you wouldn't have messed up in the first place. Or maybe he says, just look at yourself. You're a lousy, lousy Christian. How do you fight back? You prepare yourself in advance by holding on to a Bible verse that speaks against those lies. A Bible verse like Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, none. If you're in Christ Jesus, the enemy has no authority to condemn you when you make a mistake. And so you wield your sword by standing firm upon that truth from God. You reject those thoughts of guilt and you defeat the lies of the enemy. Or how about this? Maybe you find that the enemy regularly fills your mind with fear. So you prepare yourself in advance by holding on to a Bible verse like 1 John 4.18 which says there is no fear in love because God's perfect love drives out all fear. And so the enemy has no right to fill your mind with fear. And when you feel that fear creeping in, you wield your sword by standing firm upon that truth revealed by God in the Bible and you reject the thoughts of fear and you defeat the lies of the enemy. Brothers and sisters, God's word is our sword. And whatever our potential weaknesses, God's word has an answer for us. And so we can identify our areas of weakness and we can arm ourselves in advance with specific statements of truth from the Bible and then we can wield our sword against the enemy so we can stand firm. And then, having put on the spiritual armor of God, having our sword ready to wield, then we invite God to join the battle And we do so by praying intensely. Let's continue on in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's basically, supplication is praying on their behalf. It's intercessory prayer. And also pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now Paul goes into some of his concluding comments. He almost always wraps up his letters with some personal personal comments to his readers. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. So we know in this case, Tychicus is the mailman. Tychicus is taking the letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. He's going to share that piece of scripture with them, and then he's going to just share with the church, tell them how Paul's doing. He's going to be able to bring back a report to Paul about how the church is doing. He's going to pray with them and for them. And then Paul almost always ends his letters the way he opens his letters, with words about peace and grace. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So we have those personal comments, but what I want to focus on is what came before that when Paul talks about the importance of prayer. And what's interesting is prayer is not pictured as a specific piece of armor. And I think that's because prayer should permeate all of our lives. I think we're supposed to use prayer along with all of the spiritual armor. And by concluding with prayer, Paul reminds us that the spiritual battle ultimately belongs to God. It's a reminder that the true Christian warrior does battle on his or her knees as we invite God to fight on our behalf. And so we pray. But Paul is not talking here about routine, formulaic prayers. He's not talking about those times when we pray through our lists of requests. He's talking about praying for the spiritual battle. And he says we need to pray in the spirit, which means we need to listen to God and draw close to God so that our prayers are guided by our relationship with God and by the particular circumstances of the battle that we're facing. He's talking specifically about praying for God to protect us and for us to pray against the lies of the enemy. In prior messages, I've talked about the richness of taking prayers that are recorded for us in the Bible and using those prayers and making them our own. And that's because every word of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that includes the prayers that are written down in the Bible for us. And so when we offer a Bible prayer, we are praying in the Spirit and we're inviting the power of the Holy Spirit into our prayers. This means we can take Paul's words about the spiritual armor and turn them into a prayer for ourselves. Here's one way to do that. Heavenly Father, today I take up the whole armor of God so I will be ready to withstand any evil the enemy that might direct my way. And I buckle up your belt of truth and I put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
I slip the gospel of peace onto my feet. Excuse me. So I will be ready to share your love with others as opportunities arise throughout the day. And I know that the enemy wants to catch me off guard and surprise me and ambush me and wound me, so I boldly carry my shield of faith in front of me because I know that my trust in you protects me from anything the enemy might want to do to me. And through all of this, I guard myself with the sure and certain knowledge of my salvation because I know that when I pledged myself to you, you freed me from my sins and you adopted me as your child. That is a fact, Father. And the lies of the enemy have no power against the truth that I belong to you. And so, Father, throughout this day, help me to be alert and ready to wield the sword of your truth against any and all lies the enemy might direct my way. So that above all things, I would stand strong in my faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that a powerful way to pray? To take the actual spirit-inspired words of scripture and make them our own? And as we pray that way, our minds will be illuminated, our hearts will be informed, and we will realize we are putting on the armor that God gives us to protect ourselves. And in addition, the spiritual battle is not just about me and it's not just about you. The spiritual battle is about us. And so it's good to fight on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ by praying for them. And we can do that by praying for their protection and for God to give them wisdom and discernment and for blessing. And we spend a fair amount of time praying for each other and praying through physical, material needs, and those things are valid. But I believe, and I said this way back in the beginning of this sermon series, we, beyond praying for physical needs and relational needs, we spend, need to spend more time praying for others to experience the spiritual riches that God wants to lavish on them. Because when we are walking richly with God enjoying the riches that he gives us, that too is a form of protection because we are walking close with God and we are basking in all of his goodness and that is another way to help defeat what the enemy wants to do against us. And so I want to offer a prayer today, a personalized prayer that I took from Ephesians chapter one. Rob, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to offer a prayer blessing for you and Glenda today. Looks like Glenda had to slip out. <laughs> But here's a prayer I wrote right out of Scripture. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends Rob and Glenda, and I give you thanks for their faith and their love for God's people. And I ask that you would pour out on them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they might know you better and better and better. I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be continually enlightened so they would never doubt the hope to which you have called them, the riches of their glorious future inheritance and your incomparably great power toward them because of their trust in you. Oh, there is so much power in praying Bible prayers. Ask, as we ask God to protect us and help us flourish individually and as a church, and we pray for God's strength 
so that when the enemy takes his shots, we will not go down, but will stand firm in the faith. Now, because Satan is deceptive, we often might not even recognize it when he attacks us. And so as we pray, we need to pray for discernment. And in my life, I've experienced some attacks, and I personally think that one of the most insidious ways Satan tries to get into our lives is by putting thoughts into our minds that are contrary to what we typically would think. And we likely would recognize that as, well, that's a really strange thought, but we wouldn't necessarily recognize it as a spiritual attack. And here's a vivid example out of our own family experience. When our oldest daughter, Karina, was four years old, she was taking a little uh, tap and ballet class for toddlers. <laughs> it was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> Those little girls had no idea what they were doing, but they were so cute in their little tutus and things. <laughs> well, this ballet class was on the second floor of a classroom building, and it was accessed by a staircase and an exterior hallway that was kind of like a long bal uh, balcony. So picture this, so there's classrooms on one side, the balcony walkway, a railing, and a parking lot below. Our son Matthew was about two years old at the time, so Julie usually carried him in her arms as she hiked up the stairs and walked Karina down the hallway to class. She had done this dozens of times, and then one day, something very strange occurred. About halfway along that balcony, out of the blue, these words came rushing into her mind. Throw Matthew over the railing. That, that's not something that Julie would normally think. <laughs> and that thought was so intense, she had to grip Matthew tightly and just rush along. And as she left that particular place behind, the thought dissipated, and by the time she got to the classroom, it was gone. She was a little freaked out. She was caught completely off guard. She thought she was losing her mind. She had no idea what was happening, so she prayed for strength. And when she left the class, the same thing happened at the exact same place in the hallway. And so she held Matthew tight, she prayed, and she rushed on, and that thought left her. When I got home from work, we talked about it together, and we realized that this wasn't just a weird, random thought. This was a direct attack from an evil spirit. And so we prayed. I'm thankful that our small group was meeting that night, so we told them about it, and we all prayed together. And here's another really interesting piece of this story. There's a spiritual gift in Scripture that's called the gift of discernment, discernment of spirits. And once in a while, God will give us that gift to let us know what's going on in the spiritual realm. And so as we prayed in our small group, God revealed to us that some poor troubled soul had stood at that railing thinking thoughts of suicide and death. We don't know who it was. We don't think that person acted on those thoughts, at least not in that place or it would have been on the news. But when that person left, they left an evil spirit behind. So we prayed. And we prayed for that individual. 
and we prayed against the forces of darkness. Later that night, after our small, after our small group, I went over to the building when no one was around, and I prayed out loud against Satan and the forces of darkness. I prayed specifically against the spirit of death and the destruction of life, and I claimed that space in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Now, you've got to know, it felt really weird to do that. <laughs> Walking up and down this balcony, praying out loud at the top of my lungs. But what was I doing? I was standing on God's truth. And I was wielding the sword of the Spirit against the destructive lies of the enemy. The next week, the time came for class. Julie walked down that balcony as she went by that exact same spot. Oh, a very faint and weak voice said the same thing. But it was barely audible. So we prayed again. By the following week, that voice was gone, and it never, ever came back. Julie had been attacked by the enemy of our souls, and we'd stood on God's truth, and we prayed intensely, and we won a victory against the cosmic forces of darkness. That's obviously a really unusual incident. But you know, in the course of my life, I've read accounts in the news of parents sometimes randomly out of the blue killing their kids, and I wonder were they hearing a voice that they didn't know how to fight back against? Because Satan is a thief who loves to kill and steal and destroy. And so we need to recognize who the enemy is. Now, I hope that you never have an experience quite as strange as the one I've just described. <laughs> but the reality is this, all of us at times have had very odd thoughts come into our heads. Thoughts of evil, or immorality, or ungodliness. All of us at times have wondered, where, where, where did that weird thought come from that's not like me? We even might have had a thought come into our heads that was so unusual we thought we were losing our minds. Well, that just might be the enemy attacking. Now, not every crazy thought is from Satan. But if it's not a good thought, we know it's not from God. So we can and should pray against it. And we can claim the victory in the name of Jesus because God's light always overcomes the darkness of evil. God's truth always equips us to defeat the lies of the enemy. So whenever ungodly thoughts run through our heads, whenever events come up during the day that might distract us from God or prompt us to do things that would disappoint God, let's be spiritually alert and pray for discernment. Let's ask God to protect us and let's pray against those attacks. And we do that by putting on our spiritual armor daily. We do it by praying daily and when we do those things and we always will stand firm we will not be defeated we will not go down when the enemy takes his shots and we will flourish 
against the enemy of our souls. Let's pray. Oh God, it's so wonderful to know that you provide us with this incredible spiritual armor. I pray that you'd help each of us to stand firm in your truth so we never will surrender to the lies of the enemy. And Father, give us a passion for prayer, for praying in the Spirit. May we diligently pray for our own spiritual protection and pray diligently for our brothers in the faith and sisters in the faith so that we all might flourish regardless of what the enemy might do. May we be faithful, Father. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, having done all, to stand. May we always stand with and for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we pray this now in his name. Amen.